Welcome to this edition of the Golf Central podcast presented by Callaway Golf. We have so much to get to. Phil Mickelson loses his mind. The Saudi Golf League unravels in a matter of like four days. And Rex has all the deets from the mandatory players meeting on the PGA Tour. And also a little memo uh, from Greg Norman that you're going to want to listen into. But first, Callaway has developed their longest irons ever in the new Rogue ST line. These irons are breaking ground with a high-strength 450 AI face cup that's never been seen before in the industry. Callaway's continue to push innovation through their patented urethane microspheres and have massively increased the precision tungsten weighting. The Rogue ST lineup is available in four options to suit every type of player, including the Rogue ST Max for incredible speed, forgiveness, and performance. They're available now. And for more info, visit CallawayGolf.com. Rex, you and I are back home, back in our home studios. I am back on not just antibiotics, but also a steady diet of uh, acetaminophen after my root canal and another deep feeling that I have. Uh, Once again, for the second week in a row, apologies in advance for any slurring, mumbling, rambling, or assorted other commentary uh, that is that is uh, unbefitting of a podcast such as this. But I want to get, Rex, into some breaking news first, because you often go viral on Twitter, usually for the wrong reasons. But you sent out a tweet about an hour ago in which you said that it was Tiger, not Phil, who apparently has won the pip. You alluded to this last week. You did not want to really get into the specifics. Do you have more reporting? Let's go. Let's go ham on this thing. Oh, no, I'm hiding. I mean, I'm doing the journalism thing where, where oh, yeah. And the exact tweet is, in other Mickelson news, some players have been told, some players have been told that Tiger, not Phil, won last year's PIP. Still no official word, but another hit for Team Lefty. I'm, I am hearing that Tiger did win. I am hearing that there had to be some sort of, I don't know, review of the voting or the polling or whatever the case may be. It may or may not do have to do with whatever it is that Phil did last week and imploded the super golf league or whatever it is he, he did on Tuesday with a, an apology that didn't really read like an apology or feel like an apology. 530 words of, we're definitely, definitely going to get into that. Yeah. 530 words of him blaming someone else for what he said, but he said it, but he shouldn't have been, on the record about it and we can go on and on but uh, yes that's what i'm hearing so tiger one and that's what we're going to start with not your double root canal <laughs> i just i just i just drank a sip of water and it just poured down my face i'm glad that uh <laughs> not that i turned my, my camera off of the zoom record it literally just is just dribbling down uh my face that would be shocking rex because so just just an fyi these results were supposed to be tabulated through december 31st there was a, a big occurrence that of course happened uh, in December with Tiger and son Charlie playing the PNC championship. He also blew the inter- blew up the internet uh, with his uh, comeback type tweet uh, ahead of his appearance at the Hero World Challenge. So, yeah, I mean, you could certainly see him making a late push. If he were to actually nip Phil at the end and win the pip, if he nipped Phil to win the pip, say that five wow. times fast, this would, be, this would be incredible because... Phil has basically finished second his entire life to Tiger. <laughs> he has never won a money title. He's never won a FedEx Cup. He's never been world number one. 
He obviously had the second most majors of anyone in his generation. And now this is the one thing that Phil was really going to be able to hold over his head, that he was the biggest needle mover in a sport when he won a major at age 50, and Tiger did not play a single competitive round. He was out of commission the entire year, except for the unofficial PNC championship. What does it tell you, Rex? There's going to be all sorts of conspiracy theories that come out about if Phil's claiming victory and he doesn't get victory potentially because of these Saudi links. You, you, know, you know where the collective public's going to go, be going with this, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's hidden things behind every corner. On this particular one, and what's funny is we're starting with this because, of course, at, towards the end of last year, Phil tweeted that he had won the pip and was looking forward to spending all of his new riches. I believe it was $8 million for coming in first place and also complaining that he had had an event that he hadn't played in a couple of years because that's the only way hello, to get Kapalua. the Yes. Hello, Kapalua. It's the only, you know, only way for him to get the payout. I, I love that we're starting this show with this and not any of the other things that Phil has done over the last, I don't know, few days. Well, I wanted, really. I, I mean, wanted to give you a shout burned out. Down normally, the Super I mean, no, normally, n- normally you have such bad tweets that it was, it was the rare like occurrence that, that you were, that you were blowing up the internet in a good way. I was, I was, I was actually giving you props. Uh, Thanks, man. Do you so, do you want to go with Norman now, or do you want to go with Phil now? Because there's, I mean, there's just so much to get into this week. I can't wait for this. We could just stick with the Phil theme. I mean, since right, we're already on this, I mean, all, all the right, other things. Yeah. So, so you and I were both at Riviera. If you were listening to the podcast last week, uh, you are well aware of that. And so we taped the podcast, I believe, on Wednesday. Thursday is when. Everything just melted. Everything down. changed. If you were if you were living under a rock, Phil Mickelson talked to golf writer and novelist Alan Shipnuck, who was writing a an unauthorized biography of Phil Mickelson that is due out in May. I'll be very curious if that release date gets pushed up. However, Phil said a whole bunch of stuff that really was mind boggling. Called the Saudis some scary MFers. Uh, I'll use the abbreviation on that basically said that he wasn't even sure if he wanted the Saudi golf league to succeed. Rather, he was just trying to use it as leverage over the PGA tour. And the fallout from that Rex was, was dramatic. I'm not sure I've ever covered a golf tournament on the PGA tour in particular, in which the actual golf event, the tournament, the 72 hole competition was rendered uh, as meaningless as it seemingly was last (laughs) week. I mean, this was, this was dominating the discussion wasn't not it was it was finding its way into every single interview with a PGA Tour player, and then I think it really came to a head on Sunday with both Bryson DeChambeau and Dustin Johnson in different ways declaring their fealty, uh, to use the word of the week, uh, to the PGA Tour. Which, in my mind, the Saudi Golf League is not over, but for the time being, it is effectively over, and then you get. To Tuesday with the news drop at 4 p.m. Phil Mickelson. It wasn't so much an apology, Rex. It was it more an like apology a at all. It was more like a statement, and it was more like a statement saying, oopsies, sorry about that. For the Saudis, not to oopsies. the PGA Tour. I, as I look at my tweet deck right now, hashtag Phil Mickelson is trending. That's not a good thing, is it? Uh, it's going to help his PIP score, although I have a feeling he's going to be disqualified from, from the PIP this year. And he might have been disqualified from last year's pip. I mean, if we're reading between lines and trying to come up with all of these different things. Yeah, it, it was a surreal week, really. What I find interesting is, one, this interview that sort of unleashed all of this was done way back in November 
with an author who's writing a book, an unauthorized biography about Phil Mickelson. And there was some sort of question and Phil challenged the writer that it was off the record, but didn't say, he didn't say those things. So I'm always taken by the idea that, yeah, I said it, but I didn't mean for it to be published. Well, well also, right. Ship, and Shipnook has has come out in in his Ask Gallon mailbag, has completely uh, disproven that. He said he was actually Phil who called Alan Shipnuck to talk about this. At no point did he say this was a private conversation between uh, subject and author. At no time did he say this was off the record. At no time did he say, please do not use this for publication. And so that basically just seems like Phil casting blame at someone other than himself, which has kind of been his the hallmark of his last couple of years. Yeah, that's kind of his MO. And what I, I have found interesting in being just on the edges of this conversation, obviously, Alan did really, really good reporting for this. And I don't know if it was off the record, if it was off on the record. However, it's led to a larger conversation about in our business, how do you establish those boundaries? And I always have found it very, very easy to establish those boundaries. And you don't offer off the record right out of the gates. You, you know, if that's the, it's a the transaction, it is, it a, is transactional a transactional agreement between subject and writer. And it's always crystal clear, at least in my mind. And, and I have been the one I probably would have been the idiot that would have been like, Phil, I mean, scary MFers. Is that really what we want to go with here? Like I have probably hurt myself journalistically in the past trying to, to save the player from himself in this particular case, trying to save Phil, I mean, from the Saudis is kind of the scary thing. Yeah. I probably would have said something. I definitely would have said something. Are you sure that's what you want to say? So I I find this conversation interesting, you know, and in the little bubble that we live in, but it led to a larger discussion about any player that was leaning in the direction of the super league. And I do believe that I, I don't know what the number was. Maybe it was 17 players. Maybe it was 20, whatever the number was. There was a group who was prepared to announce, sign on the line, whatever it is you need to do to make this official to go to this league. In in one fell swoop, Phil said the thing that you're not supposed to say, right? He said the quiet part out loud. He didn't use the term sports washing, but he sort of just defined sports washing. Yes, they're terrible people. Yes, they have a terrible human rights record. Yes, they're terrible to women. Yes, they're terrible to gays. I mean, he, he just kept going on and on and on. And in one sentence, I just think he blew it all up for everyone else. I don't know that anyone else could now suddenly come out and say, well, I'm going to ignore the, all these things anyway and go in that direction. What gets me is Phil is usually really, really well thought out when it comes to, I've always been impressed when he shows up in a media center, he has an agenda and whatever it is we ask him, he always gets around to his agenda. And I guess I'm curious when he did this interview in November, I don't know what the agenda was because I don't know what the launching point is from here. Well, you, you make a great point that he kind of said the quiet part out loud because you and I have been talking on this podcast. I have written in Monday Scramble and in other columns on GolfChannel.com that there is basically no way that these players actually want to sign up for the SGL. They are basically just using it for leverage. They don't actually want to play this 14-tournament schedule of juiceless events of 54-fold tournaments. Like That does not sound good. Yeah, the money sounds uh, phenomenal. $100 million. Yes, I think we would all sign up for that. $50 million purses. Yes, we'd all sign up for that. But the actual prospect of it uh, was basically just a self-serving money grab. And Phil just basically said that out loud. Now, I did find the timing of this, Rex, very curious. And this is probably a, a peek behind the curtain. But reading Alan's mailbag, we were able to, to, to pull uh, to, to kind of put some pieces together here. And so on Wednesday night, Alan Shipnick reported uh, on Twitter that 
the SGL now had 20 player commitments and that this thing was coming to a head and that they were planning some splashy uh, unveiling during the week of the players championship. I think you among others uh, kind of disputed that timing of that, but this thing was coming to a head. They had 20 player commitments. The next day is when this Phil Saudi piece dropped on the fire pit collective. And so that kind of gives you a sense. Shipnook said that he, he felt it was, kind of a moral ethical obligation to kind of advance the story. He couldn't just hold on to this for uh, an excerpt that would probably come out in April or in the full book that was going to be coming out in May. This was an opportunity for him to advance a story with real reporting. And I think you could say Rex that Alan Shipnuck saved the PGA tour in some ways he saved the PGA tour, the tenor of the conversation on Wednesday was that this thing has never been more real. It has never been a, a more realistic threat to the PGA tour on Wednesday night. And 24 hours later, we're saying this thing's over. This thing is over because Phil didn't just blast the PGA tour and probably put himself in the tour penalty box uh, with conduct on becoming a professional among myriad other offenses that he had uh, in that story. But he also had to have pissed off the Saudis. How could Greg Thanks. Norman or anyone with Live Golf Investments in the in in MGB say, look at this and say anything other than this guy's just using us? Like in one paragraph, he managed to alienate his peers, to torpedo the entire project, to tarnish his reputation. In one paragraph, he did that, and and that's I what I think really led up to the statement slash pseudo apology that he issued on Tuesday. I don't think I'm willing to go as far as you just went with Shipnuck. And, and look, I'm sure the book is going to be very good. And I give him credit for being at a moral crossroads and deciding, and if that's the case, to do the right thing, to advance the story because we were getting to that tipping point. I don't agree with you based on the idea that I don't think this was going to be the end of the PGA Tour. I mean, regardless of I'm not saying what the turn the page. I'm saying Justin. this was a serious, a serious threat. We were looking at it as a more viable option than ever before. I mean, we had this conversation last week, and all the names that we had written down, I would argue that by and large, outside of Bryson and DJ and maybe a handful of others, you just got kind of eye rolls. Well, it was kind of like, who's going to tune in to watch these guys? And I mean, my how argument the at the just, time. How about the guy who just had a wire-to-wire victory at Riviera? It's Joaquin Neiman who had been. Uh, rumored to be engaged in discussions with this breakaway tour. Sure. And we can go down the list. And But I've had ongoing discussions over the last really few months where there have been people at, at our shop who have said, well, who's going to watch these guys? Like most of them are, are past their prime or are on the tipping point of their prime. And my argument all along is this is just proof of concept. Like they just need to get, let's say, 48 is the magic number, which I believed it was. They just need 48 players and get it up and running. In three or four years from now, have those 48 players stand as an example. So the Roy McElroys and the John Roms that, that stood with the tour and stayed behind can now all of a sudden look across the pond and go, huh, that guy's making $40 million a year playing 14 events. I'd like to get me a piece of that. I think that was the end game. So, no, in the short term, I don't think he saved the PGA Tour. He certainly set back the Super League, though, uh, probably years, if not decades, would be my guess. Do you think the S is to – you think the SGL is, uh, as Roy McIlroy put it, dead in the water? 
I don't think it's dead in the water because there's a, we all know it, there's vast amounts of money and live golf. And there's, a, there's a $300 million investment in the Asian tour. In the Asian tour and whatever that means and, and however important that is to them. We've all heard the silly numbers of Bryson DeChambeau getting 130 million and he scoffed at it. I don't know if he scoffed at it because it was too high or too low. I, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around exactly what he was doing there. no, I, I don't think it's over because there's vast amounts of money. They've hired an entire team. I think they'll try to keep chipping away. And then this kind of gets to the, the next story that I, I wanted to drop was last Friday, Greg Norman sent out a memo to quite a few players and agents and even players or agents that didn't have a player in the mix. You know, just he wasn't in the conversation for this, hadn't been in the conversation, but the memo essentially outlined what Liv Goff and Norman and their legal team Think of the idea that the tour could somehow ban players for life who make this jump. And the argument was, and they laid it out in bullet points and, and, and Greg, you know, in the memo itself points out that these, I think he calls it egregious acts of bullying by the PGA tour. That is a direct quote, which uh, Eamon Lynch on this morning's golf today took great delight in me using that term that he quickly turned on Norman himself, which I found fascinating. I just, for them to do that, for them to continue down this road, I don't know that they just pull up the stakes right now just because this particular iteration came apart. If you remember, probably two years ago, the Premier Golf League, which was backed again by the Saudis, another group of folks were involved in it, and that came apart, and they just found something new and came at them. And we're much closer this time than they were last time. And I just think there's too much money and there's too much motivation for them to keep going. Is bullying, is an egregious act of bullying, is that going to hold up in court? Egregious bullying. acts of bullying by the PGA Tour. How about that? Okay. Name okay, and have well, a field day with that one. I mean, bullying is not, it is not a punishable offense. It's just like, it's just a behavior. It's not a punishable offense. Like, oh, what, are you gonna, what are you going to do with impermissible. that legally? Impermissible. Uh, no, there was, uh, I, again, I don't. They have their team of lawyers, and I've been told by plenty of tour players, the PGA Tour has their team of lawyers, which is telling the tour the exact same, the opposite. They're telling that, yes, you can absolutely ban a player for life. This is this is a serious threat. I, I think the bigger problem for Phil, and I pointed this out on today's Golf Today, was it wasn't so much that he was clearly leaning in the direction of the Super League. It was that he was actively at tour events, recruiting other players to go play the Super League. And that was something that the tour simply could not put up with. I mean, you just could not have this guy at every tour event trying to convince the guy next to him on the range. That was where the the tour had to draw the line. Now, what we're reading here between the lines, right, in yesterday's statement by Phil Mickelson is that he's going away for a little while. Now, does that mean that he's been suspended? Does that mean that he's going away of his own accord? Will he be back for the Masters or the PGA Championship as the tour stepped in and suspended him? I'm curious to see how this unravels right now because I I think we're at a point where – the tour is going to have to say something eventually one way or the other. Desperately need uh, some time away. That's basically what Cam says uh, when I'm about to throw him uh, in his room for timeout. <laughs> he says he doesn't want to go into his dark, scary room. And then he says he's going to, quote, make better choices. Uh, yes, I would agree <laughs> that Phil Mickelson is in the same spot as Cam and that he needs to make start making some, some better choices. I was in the dentist chair yesterday when this statement dropped. But one thing that stood out to me after the fact, and I'm sure this has been pointed out a number of times, was that two words did not appear among the 530 words that were in that statement. PGA Tour. PGA Tour was not mentioned. He goes, in, goes at length 
to describe how his intentions uh, with the Saudis were not as he said, and that he apologized and his experience with Live Golf Investments has been, quote, very positive, and he apologized for anything that may have been taken out of context. But he never apologized to Commissioner Jay Monahan. He never apologized to his peers on the PJ Tour for creating this distraction. That was a completely different conversation. And, and we discussed, and it was certainly rumored about last last week at Riviera, was Phil already suspended by the PJ Tour based on his comments? We certainly noticed, it, as Pat Perez did, that Phil did not play in Phoenix, uh, where he has made 30 appearances. He did not play at Riviera where he was a two-time winner. And that was one of his favorite stops on the PJ tour. It's a mystery whether we'll see him in two weeks time at the players championship. I think now given this statement, uh, given all that's swirling around him, I think even his master's appearance has to be somewhat in doubt. Does it not Rex? Just because of the distraction this would potentially cause at the year's first major to have Phil Mickelson show up for the first time, since this entire firestorm came out to, to have him have his first appearance of the masters. I'm not so sure we're going to see that anymore either. I think it's really important right now that we lean into, you had double root canals yesterday, right? Just, or Monday, just to be clear, because you, I mean, you, it sounds like you're going to the line and trying to be funny and you're not like you, you had major surgery and you're trying to muscle through this. I'm just trying to say, again, save you from yourself here. So, I had a single root canal and while they were in the process of investigating (laughs) the uh, root, no pun intended of the issue, he said, Oh, the other one could do, could use a root canal too. Their, their next, their, their teeth are right next to each other. And so we knocked out one yesterday and he said, this is going to be a matter of time and probably your pain tolerance. This could be in a couple of days. This could be in a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a couple of years, even if somehow uh, the tooth gods uh, will spare me. You you scoffed at you scoffed at my discomfort uh, all week long. You scoffed at my salt rinses. Uh, you scoffed at my uh, icing. Uh, you scoffed at the four to six hour regimen of Advil and Orgel that I was strictly adhering to. And so I actually felt Rex when he said that I needed double root canal. Normally, people would be stressed out about that diagnosis. To me, I actually felt vindicated. I felt vindicated that for a week I suffered and you scoffed at me. And yet it turns out that this was a, a, a traumatic level of pain that I was enduring. And so I kind of just wanted your reaction to, to hearing that, uh, knowing just how much discomfort uh, and pain was, was being inflicted upon me. You want me to say, I'm sorry. Phil Mickelson didn't yes. come out and say he was sorry, and yet, but but you're demanding an apology no, for me. Is that Phil, what's really happening no, here? F- Phil said he was he was sorry to the Saudis. He didn't, he didn't say he was he was sorry to the the people that have been cutting him checks for the past thirty years. Cutting him checks. I see what you did there. That was funny. I was just trying to save you from yourself because you're 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 leaning into the s's a little bit too much, and I, I don't want. Yeah, I'm just trying to again save you. From yourself. I'm sorry is, if I made is, fun of this you. Is, this is what we have an audio team for. They can they can clean up all these issues. Yes, I'm, I'm sorry if I made fun of you last week. I can't believe I discounted your pain. I can't believe that I was that callous and I should just be canceled. <sighs> That's just music to my ears. Continue, please. Yes. No, I, I'll be done. And I, I think the interesting thing here, moving the story forward, there was a mandatory player meeting on Tuesday. And the timing was wildly interesting because the meeting was at 4 o'clock Eastern time and Phil released his statement at exactly 4.02, I believe, if I have that time correctly. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was well planned out. 
And from what I was told by multiple players, that it was something of a victory lap for Jay Monahan, PGA Tour commissioner, that he opened his 10-minute speech to start the meeting with anyone that's still in this room that's still interested in the, in the Super League, there's the door and walk out. I think he feels emboldened by the idea that, okay, he has, I think it's all 20 of the top 20 players in the world have stood with the PGA Tour. Now, I say that, and it seems to me there are levels of, of loyalty here. You, you get the, I want to play against the best players in the world. Well, that sounds like they're with the PGA Tour, but that's a very veiled way of saying that if they went somewhere else, then I would go there and play against the best players in the tour. To be clear, I mean, Rory and John Rahm, they have been on the PGA Tour side through thick and thin. Morikawa? I don't know. I think he's keeping his options open when he makes statements like, I want to compete against the best players. See, in that's the world. just that's just a smart business decision. And and Cal Morikawa said the same thing that Victor Hovland said, which is essentially the same thing that Bryce Nishambo said. That is keeping the PJ tour honest. If you read between the lines, that's saying you better do what it takes to keep us happy here, right? Like that's how I'm reading that. I think that is a great way to go about it. And look, the PJ tour has made a number of changes. Uh, over the past couple of years that I don't think were directly related to Phil Mickelson and his involvement with this super golf league. You saw the, the player impact program come out as a way to reward uh, the tours needle movers. That's $50 million. You saw the FedEx cup bonus. I think it's going to be $18 million and 25 million by 2025. Uh, you have the players championship purse among with other tournament purses uh, players going to 20 million. And I think we can expect an exponential increase in the other tournaments as well, especially with all this gambling uh, situation figures out and, and that gets filtered down into the playoffs. This was already going to happen with or without Phil's involvement. I do think it helps spur those things along. So I think it's only a smart business decision for Morikawa, for Hovland, for Bryson to say that because it keeps the PGA Tour thinking innovatively. It keeps them wanting to think creatively. It, it, it makes them want to, I guess, kind of rethink their mission statement because the PGA tour, the mission mission statement of the PGA tour has long been, this is a membership organization, one through one you're, we, we, we love you all. And that's just not how sports work. That's not how golf works. They are a handful of superstars. You could probably 10 to 12 tops of guys who really power the sport. They should not be treated the same as number 125. And so I think the changes that we've seen from the PGA Tour are beneficial, and I think it is very wise for Morikawa and Hovland to, to go down that road because it keeps the PGA Tour honest. And I think Billy Horschel, was, uh, we got sound from him this morning, George Severikas, who's down at the Honda Classic, who pointed out that it's ridiculous, those who are saying that the increase in purses or even FedEx Cup bonuses is a response to the Super League. And he's absolutely right. That That's a media rights deal. That was driven entirely separate. Those purses were always going up. That was it's always a billion dollar deal, Rex. It's a billion dollars. Yes. yes. And so that that has nothing to do with it. Now, on the other side, and I've had plenty of tour players and tour officials tell me that yes, the player impact program was a response to the Super League. That they have to come up with a way to reward the top players. And they came up with this meat-handed way of measuring social media influence and Google searches and something that no one, no one seems to like, and no one seems to fully understand. All they're trying to do though, is give out money to the top players. And they came up with the play 15 and get a $50,000 bonus. 
program. And they're discussing right That's now what they want. $50,000 is pocket lint to these guys. Pocket lint. Uh, way to be uh, tone deaf in the age of people who I mean, that's probably going to be my that's probably going to be my dental bill uh, for 2022. Uh, But go on. Uh, And and I think what was discussed last week at the Player Advisory Council meeting, talking about having three events in the fall in international markets and and focusing these events to be team events for the top players where there'd be huge purses and they wouldn't have to worry about FedEx Cup points. And I feel like that didn't go well. I feel like they I feel like they used you. To promote that, and I don't think anyone was particularly excited about that. Was that is that a fair is that a fair response? Why uh, why did they use me? I don't I don't like the way that was that was. I was well, just reporting I the story. I don't know what I to know. tell you. Well, I, you're, it was clearly a, a, a trial balloon, was it not? They're floating this to you. You're going to report it. You're going to put it out into the ether, and they're going to get a reaction to it, whether positively. Uh, well, no, or I don't know if that's true because I I had a. And I would never name this official, but it, I had an angry official ask me, quote unquote, who the two rats were, who told me that, and that that's an exact quote. Who were your two rats? He asked. And I said, just to be clear, there was three rats that uh, were in on the PAC meeting. And, and I talked to them. So as long as we're being honest with each other. So I don't know how happy they were. And, and it was a slippery slope. Because, because, because it, doesn't, it doesn't sound like it's, it's not a done deal yet. Like it's clearly still... Being no, formulated no, and, and I had to lean through. into that. Like that's the part that no one seems to understand about the pack. And no matter how many times I say it, it's they're just throwing stuff on the wall, man. I mean, they're, they're walking in the room and saying, "All right, who's got an idea?" And sometimes they're good, and sometimes it, they end up with the player impact program. And so I, I, I want to be absolutely clear: like this is not a done deal. And if it happens at all, it'll go through different iterations. We all know how the FedEx Cup playoffs and the points have changed over the decades. So I think it's it's important to point out that this is still in the very early stages. But no, I don't. It was a trial balloon for the players. I don't think that they particularly care what the public thinks about it quite yet. There'll be a time when they'll try to sell it to the public, but I don't think that time is now. Yeah, I mean, I think they need they have some pretty clear objectives for the fall, right? Like the superstars want to have a dedicated offseason. I think that's clear. They need to find a way to get some guaranteed paydays for the game's best players. I think that's clear. The game's best players also do not want to be penalized in the fall. Like that's been the biggest qualm about the wraparound schedule is that guys feel like they have to play the RSMs and the Houston opens and the, the Mayakobas of the world because they don't want to fall down the FedEx point list. And by the time they get to January, they feel like they're trying to play catch up and it's, it's kind of got their year off to a bad start. I think all of that is recognized that is realized, that is understood. And so, yeah, I don't think this is the final iteration. I, I don't think it was meant, as, as you pointed out, uh, to be put out as a final iteration. I think the bigger takeaway is that the tour is trying to think creatively on how they can reward, incentivize, and kind of create this different playing schedule for the top 50, as opposed to always being focused on the 125. I think that's a good shift that has come from these past couple of years. And I would agree with you. And I would argue, again, this goes back to the idea that we, we probably aren't having these conversations, if not for the Super League. We don't end up with a pip. We don't end up with the players still arguing about what they want to do and not want to do in the fall. I find what's ironic is, of all people, Phil Mickelson was the most outspoken about having to play events in the fall because he falls so far behind in the FedEx Cup points list and he doesn't want to play in the fall. He, he just wants to play in these free money events that he, his media company – Create and yet we're getting somewhere close to that, and he's the one that's probably not going to be allowed to be involved in it. Mm. 
Irony. Irony. Uh, we will let you go, Rex. You have a very busy uh, Wednesday, February 23rd. You've already been on golf today. You have myriad other responsibilities. For some reason, the um, Golf Central uh, producer called me last night uh, wanting me to uh, come on for a pop on Golf Central. Uh, I said it wasn't great timing uh, because I literally cannot open my mouth. Uh, and apparently, um, I was left on the cutting room floor today. Uh, with some of these appearances. So thank you for for picking up uh, some of the slack on that. I would say, Rex, what are you going to be grilling? It's your last week at home for a couple, right? You got a home game next week for the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Uh, The following week, you'll be in my neck of the woods, uh, the home game for me, which is the Players' Championship. I'm going to be honest. I'm probably not going to be firing up all that much this week. I think I have a steady diet of yogurt, uh, mashed potatoes, uh, mac and cheese, um, and probably some ice cream uh, for the next couple of days. My mom, uh, who lives in New York, I've not seen her in two years. She's coming down uh, in a couple of days, so that'll be great this weekend. I'll probably try and do something soft on the old teeth, maybe some chicken thighs. What do you have? What do you have on the docket? Just yogurt and milkshakes for you. Uh, I am going to. I actually I had frozen the tri tip that we had talked about. I was going to make it on the pit barrel smoker. I'm, I'm going to do. Uh, chili using the tri-tip i'm gonna smoke it it's gonna be 85 to... degrees it's gonna be 85 degrees this weekend oh i know i know it's so i just want to do it it's I not chilly it weather weeks anymore. Ago. well i'm sorry i couldn't i wasn't able to do it i think i wanted to do it not, no it wouldn't have been the super bowl might have been the super bowl maybe the national championship game whatever it is i wanted to do this i saw the recipe i liked it so i'm, I'm gonna give it one more shot I got you're going to be you're going to be sweating, dri- eating your eating your chili uh, face is absolutely dripping. I am hopeful uh, that you will do a rack of ribs uh, sometime soon on that pit barrel smoker. The fat dripping down, rendering over those coals coming up and flavoring the meat. Mm, man, I can't wait to sink my teeth into some ribs. Man, that's going to be just <laughs> See, succulent, succulent I'm and savory. I'm, yeah, just I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, <laughs> I'm warning with you. that. With that, we will end before I get in any more trouble. Thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. We'll talk, hopefully, what is a good winner at the Honda, fingers crossed, with that type of field, and get into whatever else happens in the world of golf over these next five days. We could all use a little break from the drama, but we'll see if we actually get it. Uh, For Rex, I'm Ryan. We'll see you next time.